Hey friends, welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. I hope everyone's doing well. I'd like to thank everyone who's left comments. That really helps. And also it makes me feel like I'm not doing this for uh, just for myself and maybe for my mom or the one or two friends I have that listen to this podcast. So yeah, keep the comments coming. Leave a review on iTunes, good or bad. If you like it, say so. If you don't like it, also say so. Also, you can reach me directly at mike.hill at everythingwentblackmedia.com or you can hit me on Facebook. Also, uh, if you don't know it by now, my Twitter handle is at MikeHillHQ. Through the wonders of modern technology, I had the chance to talk with Chris O'Dell, the founder of Datusara, a company that I have really strong beliefs in. Not because it's, uh, they make great fightwear, I actually have one of the uh, Datsusara battle packs, which I use pretty much every day to transport my stuff between home, work, and training. But also, Chris sort of epitomizes the idea of manifesting your will, changing your life, and just being happier in general, seeing that there's a problem, doing something about it. So real quick, before we get started, uh, we're an Onnit Labs affiliate, so if you're interested in getting a Blendtec blender, bulletproof coffee, or any of the rad food products on it has for sale, please go to the website, www.everythingwentblackmedia.com, and you can click through the portal that you'll see there. In addition, Chris has also opened up the Datsusara affiliate program to us, so if you're interested in buying uh, some of the awesome stuff he has for sale, you know, Battle Pack, the uh, Joe Rogan utility belt, a hemp ghee, uh, grappling shorts, anything like that, you can also go to the everythingwentblackmedia.com webpage and you'll see there's a Datsasara portal, so please click through. We have Chris O'Dell. He's uh, the founder of Datsusara, a uh, company that provides high-performance bags and uh, hemp fight gear. So, um, Chris, just to get, get uh, kick things off here, what was your inspiration for starting uh, Datsusara? Hmm. Well, um, it was a couple of things. I was basically working in a job that, even though I was still my own boss, essentially, I just I, it was driving me crazy. It was one of those kind of jobs that I think a lot of people have, where uh, you just you hate every minute of it. You might be good at it or whatnot, but it's just I couldn't take it anymore. So I knew I had to come up with something to kind of get back into enjoying life and maybe provide something uh, a little more interesting for society, <laughs> hopefully, in the process. So, um, yeah, I kind of just took a couple of my loves and mixed them together. At, uh, at the time, I was training a lot in uh, mixed martial arts, doing a lot of kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, and uh, things like that. And I looked around, I, I saw the bags that we had and the gear, and I went, God, this stuff is just, you know, it's terrible. It's really not made for the sport, and on top of that, it's made out of synthetic garbage that... You know, it's the second you throw anything nasty in there at all, it's got a little sweat under it, whatnot. It's just turning it into a science experiment. It's you know, it's not going to breathe. It's, things get disgusting. Um, and I thought, well, right. So I can design a bag maybe that would work better for us. And what should I make it out of? And I thought of one of my old loves, which is just uh, hemp materials. And um, it's one that I feel has been neglected because mostly it's just the domain of you know hippies and stoners and whatnot. And uh, which I got nothing against them, but uh, they're not very imaginative as far as what you could do with uh, with hemp material. And so yeah, so I just decided to uh, put those two together and make a hemp bag for MMA, and that's uh, and it did well. And that's that's kind of how we got started. So what, what kind of work are you doing prior to this? Because that, that's always an interesting thing. Um, you know, I think mm-hmm. most of the dilemma that modern man seems to be in is. Uh, being trapped in, in a sort of nine-to-five job sort of scenario, uh, you know, wanting more out of life and uh, not not knowing how to actually pursue some of those uh, endeavors. So, um, you know, what where do you start out with? I guess that's an interesting story as well. Well, at the time, I was doing, I was running a small video productions company. I mean, it was primarily myself, but I had a few people that I worked with as well. And, you know, that I, when I got out of, I, don't know, I took about maybe a year of college, and then I, I left that and just started doing 
video work, and I used to love it. I mean, I used to really enjoy it, especially editing. It was just really, uh, I don't know, I had a great time with it. But over the years, it just became worse and worse and worse. I mean, I, I have had regular office jobs and, you know, standard, uh, you know, regular service jobs too, but, but uh, which I definitely didn't like. Those never lasted long. But uh, even with my own business running, I just didn't, I don't know, it just wasn't, wasn't fulfilling at the end of the day. And... Um, you know, it didn't leave me enough time either to, to do what I wanted to do with my life. And that's part of why, you know, I called the company Datsusara. It's really, literally in Japanese, it's escaping the salaried worker's life. But we take it to mean, you know, escaping whatever from whatever life that you're not enjoying. If you're, you know, whatever kind of job, doesn't matter. Just basically spending more time doing the things you want to do in your kind of limited amount of time you have here on the planet. So uh, for me, that was, yeah, that was getting away from, from the video work that I just, wasn't enjoying and finding something a little more fulfilling. Um, so, yeah, and that's, uh, that's how that went. It's funny how those two things sort of go hand in hand. It's like the anxiety of, uh, you know, living a life that you're not really happy with and uh, mm-hmm. the sort of health, you know, that all that cortisol, like, you know, yeah. going through your bloodstream and not sleeping and not eating right. And not oh, yeah. sleeping, your testosterone levels drop and uh, you start becoming oh, miserable. No. You're not getting any exercise and, you know, it's just like this down, downward spiral. And, um, uh, yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of people just, uh, you know, it's a, common, it's a common struggle. It's like the modern man's struggle. And uh, yeah. I think some of the things that are these days, I feel like there's a lot of new businesses that sort of are, um, you know, niche businesses such as yourself, you know, such as the business that you, you're, you're involved with. And uh, it's sort of a testament that you don't actually have to, you know, go for like the big sell you can do something that's that's you're passionate about and that might only have like a smaller uh you know client base you know what i mean i mean yeah. you know obviously you know hemp mma bags you know are uh you know they, they might start out just with a more limited sort of uh you know base of of, uh, of consumers you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely that's true and and I, and I think for myself there's definitely a limit to how big I would want this to be, at least with me at the head of it, and there's going to come a time where it's just going to be too much, and maybe I feel that, you know, I don't want the quality to go down. It's kind of like, you know, maybe running a nice restaurant or something. You, you get it any bigger than 10, 20 tables, you're not going to be able to turn out quality meals every time, and uh, I feel like it's it could be that way with our business as well, but we'll see. And, you know, so far, we've been able to scale it up pretty well, and it's working out, but I I'm not one of those people that has this idea of, oh, unlimited growth and we've got to become, you know, the next Nike or something necessarily. Otherwise, we're no good to anybody. It's, I don't see it that way. I think I could have a pretty comfortable life and, and serve a good group of people and, you know, have a positive impact on, on the planet, um, you know, without, uh, yeah, without being huge. And on a side note on the uh, anxiety thing you mentioned, I, I had quite literal anxiety before I started this company. I mean, I was getting like hardcore panic attacks, the whole deal, and doing mixed martial arts was actually the only thing that would kind of keep them at bay, and uh, and it really wasn't until I think I got this company going that I started to kind of relax, and I don't have any troubles now, but I don't know how directly related that was, but I have a feeling it definitely had a big part to do with it. You know, your body just even reacts to it it sees the situation and goes, oh, all right, you got to get out of here. So it's a strange thing. That, that's what the job of depression is. I mean, that's, that's sort of your, you know, your consciousness telling you that you're in the wrong place, you know, and that's, you know, it's like any other stimulus that your body reacts to, you know, if, if you're in, you know, if, you, if you're getting burned, you move your hand away from the fire, you know, if you're depressed and you're filled with anxiety and you can't sleep, you, you change your life somehow, you, you change your surroundings, you, you know, shake up the routine of what you're doing every day and uh you know that that's something unfortunately that a lot of people seem to ignore that stimulus and uh i think our society is sort of promoting this uh you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like get through it and you know all that sort of stuff and then people spend their lives living these sort of like unfulfilled you know i'm not saying everybody should go out and and be like this you know superstar maybe not everyone has it in them but certainly people should be able to uh, pursue uh, things they're passionate about, you know? Sure. Yeah, and just find a way to manage your time a little bit and make sure you take a moment to breathe, enjoy yourself, hang out with your friends, your family, that kind of thing, and try not to end up on a lot of pills just to get through your day. 
Yeah, that's that's the other the other the other thing, man. Is uh, actually it leads into some of the other questions I had about um, just hemp hemp in general, because uh, as most people know, hemp is uh, illegal in this country. So, uh, how do you actually source uh, your materials? Do you bring them down from Canada or? Interestingly enough, Canada, although they provide a, a ton of uh, hemp for, for protein powders and other foods and things, they don't really have a hemp textile industry up there. And the only thing I can figure is just that it's too, it's too costly and they haven't figured out a way to make that you know, really viable up there. Um, so really the only two places that you're going to get hemp on an industrial scale um, sourced from are going to be either uh, Romania or China. Romania is pretty small amount over there and it's tough to work with them. Um, China's been doing hemp since, you know, thousands and thousands of years. They, they, they were kind of, they never really stopped using it. So um, even though it's not probably as big of a, you know, something as operation as maybe cotton over there, not even close, but, um, but certainly they are, you know, at the top of the game as far as hemp goes and really the best, the best most advanced blends and quality and all that. So we source all of it from there, and I do work with uh, with factories over there. I try to make sure that they're, you know, they have good standards. And so far, oddly enough, the standards I've seen over there are really, uh, you know, they're better than what I've seen over here. I have visited a few factories here in America, in the garment district down in L.A., some up here near San Francisco, and they're pretty horrendous. I mean, the more cramped conditions, more chaotic, they still have... You know, people work in long hours, and, and they're all, you know, a lot of them probably, uh, you know, illegal immigrants as well. Not that I have a problem with that, but um, but it's just, that's the situation. So it's interesting. Everybody has this idea you make something in the USA, and it's going to be, you know, some beautiful thing where everybody's really well taken care of. But often that's, uh, that's not the case. Now, some people may not be aware, but the reason why hemp in this country is illegal has really nothing to do with the psychoactive uh, effects of cannabis. It has more to do with uh, industrialists like William Randolph Hearst and the DuPont Company and, um, you know, that sort of thing. So um, hemp as a crop, I mean, you know, maybe, you know, what, what, what's the benefits of using hemp, you know, as a, as a material for, uh, for clothing and, and whatnot? You know, and what's, what are some of the benefits? Sure. Um, well, I've always tried to stress the the other benefits before getting into the environmental parts because that's what everybody hears and, and, you know, I think a lot of people get tired of getting hit over the head with that stuff. Um, but so for starters, for us from a functional standpoint, especially as related to sports gear, it's naturally antimicrobial. So it, you know, inhibits or kills off the growth of most uh, bacteria and molds and, you know, fungi, that kind of thing, such as like staph that everybody's afraid of at, you know, jujitsu gyms. Uh, staph just can't live on hemp. It just doesn't work. Um, so that's one great benefit. It's, uh, it's pretty breathable, so you know, it keeps things ventilated basically because of the weave of the material and that it's natural. Air can pass you know, through it much easier, well, if at all, because with synthetic bags often you're not getting any air through there, which is you know, nice because they're waterproof but terrible for putting a bunch of sweaty gear into them. It's not a good idea. Um, so you've got those two things. It's obviously very, very strong. Um, cotton, they, they've done, it's really hard to track down the actual tests on this stuff, but hemp ranges anywhere from two to six to eight times the tensile strength of, uh, of cotton, let's say. So it's, it is the world's strongest natural fiber. Um, yeah, and it just, those tests are weird. I, I've been spending weeks trying to track down the original tests for those stats, but yeah, they range quite a bit depending upon how you test it, but, uh, but it's certainly a very, very strong fiber. Um, so you've got that, and then you've got sure all the ecological benefits as well, which is you know it doesn't require a whole lot of water. It grows to maturity in about four months. Um, doesn't deplete the soil. It's it's pretty you know it's very sustainable renewable resource. Now it doesn't require pesticides or insecticides uh, really as well or herbicides any of that when in growth either. So that's a big one. Now one of the things you know hemp as a crop in this country is not a new thing. I mean this is like you know. George Washington times, you know, like the Constitution and, you know, they probably the first American flag was woven out of hemp, you know, and uh, it really is only this like sort of, uh, you know, capitalistic uh, industrialist move that made hemp illegal in this country. And it has absolutely nothing to do with, uh, you know, people getting high off of the, the, was it the, the female uh, plant or whatever, you know, using cannabis. And that is actually just this sort of, uh, you know, smokescreen behind the whole reason why hemp is, is illegal, you know. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's something that, you know, I've been trying to, to sort of make people aware of as well that, you know, might not actually understand that. When they, when they think of hemp, they might think of, you know, a psychoactive elements to it, which are not, you know, I mean, alcohol is legal too. And marijuana, I don't know anyone who's ever like beaten their wife after getting high on marijuana or like, you know, ran their car off the road, you know, off the road. Um, so, I mean, you know, people yeah. don't have their own ideas about that, but, you know, um, I'm just, in general, I just wanted to try to get people to understand that, especially with the economic situation in this company, that having a, a crop like hemp, you know, for all these benefits would actually help everybody. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's odd. It's funny, too, because I think we're still the number one, the world's the number one importer of, of hemp. You know, basically, yeah, I mean, it, it, hemp is still being held down for uh, a lot of interesting industrial reasons. But I, I think there people are, the, the grasp is being lost on that very quickly because you have states like Colorado and Washington already legalizing marijuana for recreational use, which oddly enough came before <laughs> legalizing hemp. But along with those laws, uh, a lot of in those places, they're already starting to put down laws then for also um, legalizing hemp. For it. So that's working out pretty well. And even states like Oregon, who already they passed a hemp bill, I think three or four years ago. It's just they've been waiting to make sure the DEA wasn't going to come down on them just because marijuana was still illegal. And DEA keeps claiming, oh, we can't tell the difference between the crops, which is absolute horseshit. And um, so. Basically, everybody's just been waiting for things to kind of loosen up. And there's a bill, I think, that might go through in California sometime soon. We keep trying to get hemp bills through here, and they get close, and the governor usually vetoes them because he's afraid of the DEA once again. Um, but I, I think it's ending. And, uh, I mean, we'll see where it, where it gets to. I actually didn't think it would happen anytime soon, but it looks like it's moving. So uh, so it might come around. And, and, yeah, as I mentioned, I mean, we're the world's number one importer uh, of industrial you know hemp for textiles and for food so it would just be it would make perfect sense to, to bring it here and uh, and then we've just got to get a decent manufacturing industry back to uh, process it and we'll be in business which that could take some time too though the thing that kills me about the DEA and the cops in general is that uh, you know marijuana I mean I can see like the idea of you know maintaining their jobs that sure. you know having uh, you know the sort of passive stoners to harass and uh put in jail you know that that makes their jobs a little, a little harder you know they have to deal with meth heads now with machine guns and stuff you know so but i mean there's no there's no shortage of of creeps out there i think for the dea guys to go after so i mean you know maybe they should step <laughs> yeah. up their game a little bit you know you would think so i i, I definitely was at the bad end of a lot of police work not not so many years ago but uh and that was uh, that was not a lot of fun at all. And the whole time I'm thinking, God, you couldn't they be out working on something much worse than, you know, some poor kid who's just got caught with a little bit of weed or something? That's you know, just it's ridiculous. A lot of lives are, are are ruined or at least you know put on hold. And it's just no reason why you got to put somebody in a cage for for smoking weed or having a little you know weed on them or even you know dealing. You got to get it somewhere. I don't. I just don't see a problem with it. So I fully support hemp and marijuana just across the board. I mean, yeah, you want to figure out some way to do better road sobriety tests or something to make sure people aren't completely blitzed in driving, which I think happens pretty rarely. But uh, you want to do that? That's fine. I can understand that. But it's a ridiculous argument to have hemp or marijuana illegal. It's just kind of, it's, it's high time it ends. Also, even scheduling it as a Schedule 1. I think Schedule 1 has to do with no medical, uh, you know, sort of applications, and that yeah. is very ironic to me since marijuana is like a proven – I mean, there's medical marijuana in California. You know, you can get a license for that. <clears throat> oh, yeah, a lot of states. I, I forget, but it's – I, I want to say it's over 10 now at least. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's silly to have it right up there with cocaine. And Actually, no, wait, cocaine is not up there. Nope, it's heroin two. and LSD and some other things like that. Yeah, but even cocaine is at a lesser degree of, of, of penalty. It's, it's just – yeah, it's kind of silly. I mean, we have a few – like even here in California, we did – semi-decriminalize um they took it down so it's just unless i think under an ounce it's it's practically just like getting a speeding ticket or something but nonetheless it yeah it's just crazy it's kind of it's something at least it seems like people are waking up to it though i really thought i i might not see it in my lifetime but 
seems like slowly but surely, um, you know, things are coming around and more people are supporting legalization. So I think we'll, we might actually see an end to uh, the prohibition of, uh, uh, you know, cannabis and, and hemp real soon. So, um, you know, starting this company stemmed from your, your love of, you know, MMA and, and, you know, martial arts in general. Did you start with a, uh, you know, a traditional martial arts background or did you just sort of not, not really. Um, I did a little bit of, uh, let's see, was it Koi Kondo back when I was, I don't know, young teenager, did about a year learning maybe one punch and mostly it involved my instructor trying to get more people, get me to get more people to sign up. That was the big uh, thing they pushed rather than really teaching you much of anything. And uh, yeah, I didn't care for that very much. I'm not, I'm not one for super hierarchical, disciplined, authoritarian kind of environment, so that didn't go over well. And then uh, I read about uh, Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, and, and I, I got kind of excited for that, and I went, God, somebody must be teaching this somewhere, because that's, a you know, the whole philosophy is, uh, and definitely lines up with uh, my thoughts on things. And uh, I went around trying to find some of that, found a teacher in the Bay Area that, yeah, I didn't, I'm not going to get into who it was or whatnot, but... Yeah, didn't really care for it, and then I ran into some of the UFC events uh, that I found online. I went, God, this looks pretty awesome, and uh, this seems like what Jeet Kune Do might have evolved into at some point. Um, so I started looking around, trying to figure out what was up with that. Oh, okay, it's mixed martial arts, and um, and then I found, uh, yeah, I found a good MMA gym. It was a Straight Blast uh, International Gym affiliate in Berkeley, and uh, that was like 2006, maybe. And I've uh, trained pretty solid for a few years, took a lot of years off, just started to get back into mostly jiu-jitsu now because I got tired of getting punched in the face. So, <laughs> so yeah, I pretty much just do jiu-jitsu now, um, preferably no gi when I can. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it's, um, but yeah, no real traditional long-term background or anything. I'm lucky that I didn't spend, you know, 10 years doing some art that might not really be useful for what I'd like it to be useful for, which is, you know, self-defense as much as uh, exercise yeah that was one of the things I mean I started I started out in, in uh, Taekwondo and um, actually I used some of the kicks in Taekwondo like the spinning I mean actually you see it in the UFC too the spinning you know the uh, turning sidekick uh, you know crescent kicks like things like that which are starting to creep their way into uh, you know the UFC I mean Hennon Burrell uh, knocked um, Wineland out with a, with a turning sidekick you know yeah so, I mean, you yeah. see that all the time now. Uh, Vito Belfort knocked out Rockhold with the same kick, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, for the for the most part, all those, like, sort of high kicks really are, are pretty – there's no application for, for that kind of thing in, in real fighting. Um, so, yeah, I'm similarly. I mean, I think yeah. I didn't really start taking martial arts seriously until I discovered, uh, you know, Muay Thai and, uh, and jiu-jitsu, you know. And coming mm-hmm. from, like, a wrestling background, the uh, jiu-jitsu was uh, – you know, the takedowns and stuff were a little bit easier, but obviously working off your back is something wrestlers really have a hard time with at first, you know. Yes, yeah, I've noticed that. Whenever I have to deal with a new wrestler coming in, that's the first thing I try to do is get them on their back because wrestlers, they, they come into jiu-jitsu a lot better than your average person off the street who's had no training. They can really, you know, they can be some trouble still. So Yeah, the body but mechanics, yeah. you know. yeah. And I think with some of these other arts, it's interesting to see things like some of the Taekwondo stuff coming in. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, if these other arts, traditional ones, would would train in a better way, if they would train in, in an alive format with a resisting opponent, it would it'd be really interesting to see what would what would still work, you know, what would stick and what wouldn't. So, and I think we're seeing some of that come out in uh, yeah, in the UFC and other you know mixed martial arts type events where okay, like some of these things can work. You just have to get to integrate them right and train a certain way. Do you um you know do you have certain days where you train striking and certain days where you train grappling or is it just all sort of mixed up? I, I used to when I first started I was I had a ton of extra energy and I I would just go in and sometimes I'd do two or three classes a day and then I you know maybe wouldn't for a week or something and and eventually I started to alternate a bit but it was really after my uh, I had kind of an amateur kickboxing fight we didn't do full Muay Thai rules even though I was somewhat trained in that I didn't want to deal with elbows and knees to the face so. Uh, we just did regular kickboxing rules, and uh, yeah, I got my ass handed to me. So it was, you know, it was a good experience. And, and it, you know, in my defense, it was somebody who was actually apparently an instructor, and I had only been training for about I don't know six months or something. But I got kind of sandbagged a little bit. 
but nonetheless, I realized, okay, you know, I'm, I just, I didn't want to keep getting hit in the head all the time going in for practice. I just didn't feel like it was good for me. And I do miss the striking a bit. And, and if you train it properly, you can still do it safely enough. But I just, I started doing more jujitsu after that. And I got kind of more obsessed with it at that point and said, all right, I probably want to spend the vast majority of my time on jiu-jitsu so we'll see it also depends a lot of gyms i've been at where i've you know lived they just there really isn't an option for both at one particular gym and i don't want to deal with going back and forth so um but we'll see if i move back up to or if i'm not back up if i move up to portland oregon which i'm thinking about doing i might start training at uh, the straight class gym uh, headquarters there and if i'm over there i, I might start doing everything a little bit again because they've got a just a great training environment yeah there's um you know the Gracies. There's a big Gracie presence here in New York, and um, right in Brooklyn, actually, not too far from where I live, there's a Gracie Fight Academy, which has everything all the time. I mean, they have like you know MMA nice. classes. They all you know, obviously jujitsu, they'll judo, boxing, Muay Thai, you know, uh, catch wrestling, like the whole nine yards. Um, I don't train there. I train at uh, Marcelo Garcia's uh, Jiu-Jitsu Academy and um, Coban's uh, Muay Thai camp. So I, yeah. I train at two different schools, but it's, uh, you know, they're, they're not that far away from each other, so it's easy to hop back and forth. Well, you're but, a fortunate jiu-jitsu player then. That's, uh, <laughs> can't really get a whole lot better than training at Marcelo's. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you know, it, it's, um, I feel very fortunate to, you know, have that resource here, you know, and, uh, you know, definitely one of the, one of, one of the greatest uh, tr- decisions I made in my life was to, you know, pursue training jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, I trained wrestling. I used to wrestle, you know, high school and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, but you know, just the, um, you know, as an adult male, like getting involved in, a, in, a, in grappling, you know, definitely is uh, sort of a humbling sort of thing. Um, because when, you know, you you spar at 100%, unlike, you know, say in Muay Thai, we very rarely spar at 100%. It's usually, uh, you know, technical sparring or, even when you're going like full full bore with the headgear, you know, in a sensible school, you're not trying to knock the guy out. You know what I mean? Um, you're just you're going like maybe eighty percent. You know, you're not you're not full on like braining some dude in the head. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Most most guys aren't. I've gotten kicked pretty hard by some guys before. You know, we're gearing up for a fight, but uh, you know, mostly in the legs. But um, but you know you're going 100 percent with with uh, jujitsu and and you know you guys who come in you know because you know, I live in New York there's a lot of these like you know sort of Wall Street you know alpha males who might show up for a couple of days and they never really last because uh, having to um, manage that uh, that feeling of uh, having your ego destroyed is uh, something that a lot of people I think can't um, they can't hang with that sort of thing you know yeah. And it's, uh, but once you overcome that and once you, um, you spend a couple of years training, you know, and you start feeling progress, I think it makes you like, you know, just like a better, more well-rounded person to have gone through all that sort of stuff, you know? Mm, very true. I mean, I, yeah, I've seen it break a lot of, a lot of people and I've seen a lot of people that stuck with it and, and, and learned quite a lot from it. And I think it's a, definitely a real healthy thing and, for myself, I never had, I probably had the opposite problem where I always suffered from, you know, too much self-deprecation and, and not having an ego at all and stuff. And it, in some ways that's good, but it helps to be a, a bit more aggressive and, and, and work on things too, which I'm learning the hard way in jiu-jitsu as well. Because if you're just passive all the time and playing defense, you, you know, you're going to just, you're going to lose. It's not going to work out too well in the long run. So uh, I, I work on different things with it, but even just for me, the amount of, like you said, you can train extremely hard, you know, pretty much 100% if you're careful in jiu-jitsu and, you know, walk out at the end of the night and everybody's fine, nobody's hurt. And that's that's a great thing because I need that I need that really, really hard workout to kind of get, I don't know, the, the, I don't know if it's a chemical thing or an emotional release, whatever it is that makes me feel more even and balanced in the rest of my life um, that I get from jiu-jitsu. I, I, I definitely need that, which I didn't. I didn't always get that, and it, I could, you know, I could run like tennis or whatnot. And that usually doesn't doesn't quite doesn't quite do the same amount. I mean, jiu-jitsu really, it's a special kind of workout, and you know, physically and mentally, it also gives you that kind of when you're that engaged in something, you get that sort of 
zen headspace where there's you're not thinking about anything else and for somebody like me running this company and I'm I'm managing pretty much everything really helps to have some sort of discipline where I'm just focused in absolutely in the now and I'm not I'm not going through a laundry list of stuff I got to do when I get home or whatever it's uh it's really uh it's really nice that way yeah, I mean, that kind of leads back, connects to what we were talking earlier about, you know, stress and cortisol levels. And, you know, I mean, you know, I, I've been, uh, the last couple of months, I've been really getting into this whole paleo diet, you know, philosophy sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, early man didn't sit behind a desk, you know what I mean? Like he stood yeah. on his feet mainly and he dealt with uh, hunting and running away from, you know, fighting off enemies and things like that. So... I, th- I believe that a lot of the, the neuroses, like emotional problems, and the reason why a lot of people are on these like sort of pharmaceuticals is because they don't have these uh, stimuli in their lives anymore, you know, where they're yeah. not using their bodies in the way that they're genetically supposed to be using their bodies, and they're, you know, building up all these cortisol levels, and as a result of that, you know, they have all these neurotic behaviors, you know, and getting, getting themselves into trouble, like cheating on their wives, and, you know, whatever, and all this other crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, I think it's like a real primal thing, you know, and I think that, you know, that's something that is almost necessary to maintain your health. You know, all these, you know, early men, I don't, I don't think had diabetes or any of these sort of, uh, modern day, uh, you know, afflictions, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. We've kind of, I don't know, we're, we're, we've been thrown a little too quickly into this different lifestyle and. And it, you know, may not be somewhere we want to end up anyway. And, you know, that's, again, part of the thing with the Datsus are. It's kind of get away from your 9 to 5 a little bit, get out from behind the desk, go do something preferably active that you enjoy. And uh, even if it's just, you know, yeah, playing with your kids, your dog, whatever, just go do something else besides obsessing on your uh, on your paycheck and, you know, how you're going to retire when you're 60 or whatnot. It's, it's not really a healthy way of life. So do you have any uh, any new products coming out? Because I know you have uh, you know a series of different bags. Uh, you know, get the battle pack. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you got uh, you know you have hemp geese. You have I think white and black, or just it's a midnight blue. We kind of we did a little compromise because everybody wanted blue, but people still wanted black as well. And so I went, all right, we're gonna go with like a super dark blue and see how that goes over. People like that. Um, I'd still like to make black as well sometime soon, but. It's tricky. Hemp is really expensive. I mean, just to give you an idea, I'll be honest about my costs. Um, just to get one hemp ghee, like imported, to get to my warehouse, um, costs flat costs is about ninety bucks a unit. So, wow. <laughs> whereas most any cotton ghee, even the most fancy cotton ghee you could possibly find on the market, unless it's made in the United States, that's going to cost you maybe thirty tops, and most of them are paying, you know, closer to twenty. So, so it's tough. Uh, hemp itself is extremely expensive, um, so that's why you'll see a lot of hemp gear online. It's just it's almost out of people's you know price range that they can they can afford for most of us. Uh, even myself, I mean, there's a lot of things I'd like in hemp that I don't have. Hemp bed sheets will probably run you 400 bucks, and I just I haven't you know slung out the cash for that yet. Um, but I'm trying to change that a little bit. I'm really trying not to be too greedy with our prices. Um, I, you know, I've got to make a reasonable markup, or I can't keep the business growing. But um, but we try to be try to be fair about it. And um, yeah, we do have we we've got basically the geese. We've got some uh, hemp fight shorts. Those tend to come in and go out of stock really quick, and then it takes a while for us to get them back. But um, but we're always you know kind of moving them around. And uh, as for the bags, we now have basically three sizes of each style. So we've got sort of a more duffel bag style that we just call our gear bag. And then we've got our backpacks, which we call battle packs. We're going to have three sizes of each of those. Uh, we just came out with the, uh, the gear bag pro, which is the largest one. It was the original bag I made for people who are really training in a lot of disciplines. Like let's say it's for mixed martial arts. If you're doing kickboxing, jujitsu, judo, all this stuff, it's got plenty of room for all that gear. Uh, then you got your gear bag core, which is a little bit smaller version of the same thing. Gear bag mini, even much smaller version, which would be good like if you're a smaller guy, say gi size A2, maybe A3 tops, you could you could use the mini and just you know just for jujitsu, it'd be plenty of room. Uh, and then we're doing kind of the same thing on the backpacks. Those won't be coming in until uh, about late October probably, but they'll be basically the pro size, the core size, and then the mini size. 
Um, and uh, but yeah, they're really nice. We've been I've been working really hard on just getting the quality, uh, you know, better and better each time. You know, better components, better materials, and and uh, I'm pretty happy with how they've been coming out lately. We've you know definitely had our fair share of uh, little problems in the past, but I'm always working to make things better. And so far, everybody's been very happy because when we do have issues, I always take care of them. You know, the bags are warranted for up to three years or more. I just always make sure everybody's taken care of. And you have that uh, Joe Rogan utility belt uh, bag oh, yeah. too, right? Did that, yeah, I think, is that back in stock? Because I've yeah, been checking on that. Yeah, that's back in stock. We've got a, a fair amount, hopefully, to keep people at bay. Um, so, yeah, those are back in stock. Our laptop-style bag is back in stock. Um, and, you know, there's T-shirts and stuff, too. I'm also working on uh, getting the hoodies back out again. We've got oh, wow. a, a new design, which might be nice to uh, – I hope I can get it in in time for uh, the holidays because for people who do celebrate, I know – they like to have those things. Just, uh, just a little FYI out here on the East Coast. It's, we're entering hoodie weather, so you know. Hopefully, you get that thing out, man. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. We always have this. It seems like the curse of the holidays, where everything ends up being just late enough that it doesn't quite come in, you know, before everybody wants to put in their orders and we end up having to do pre-orders or something, but eh, we'll see. Hopefully hopefully things will work out this year. Uh, last year, too, the uh, the weather over in New York kind of screwed us up because our warehouse is actually in New Jersey, and uh, oh. so things were, like, you know, weeks behind because of all the, uh, you know, the flooding and trouble. Hurricane Sandy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a really heavy time, and I had just come back from tour, um, like, the day before Hurricane Sandy hit, and I remember... You know, I've been traveling all over the country, and the, that the next morning, the first day back, I woke up in my apartment, and uh, my mother called, and she was like, you know, or you know, I want you to be careful. There's supposed to be a storm, and I was like, ah, it's not going to be anything. And little by little, like I was just hanging out. Like I hadn't been home for like several weeks, so I had no food in the house. There was like a couple of cans of tuna fish, and there was like, you know, hardly anything, some pasta maybe. And uh, slowly, I noticed that I lost internet, and then like, you know. I looked on the map and I was like in a flood zone. So I just like, you know what, I, I got to get out of here. <laughs> and then like, yeah. all hell broke loose like the, that night, you know. So I, I, I escaped by like, uh, you know, three hours or something like that. I went over to my girlfriend's house. So she lived in a safer <laughs> part of town, you know. Yeah, yeah, that looked terrible. I had a lot of buddies out there and it just, that was, that was a real mess. So, yeah, hopefully the weather won't be that bad this year. So I noticed on your website that you have uh, you have a photograph of uh, Henry Rollins with one of your bags, and um, that's a fan favorite here, man. Like on the most of the people who listen to this are huge Rollins or Black Flag fans. So uh, how did you uh, you come about uh, you know Rollins being one of your clients here? Yeah, you know, oddly enough, it, it wasn't because I was a huge fan of his music or anything. In fact, when I was younger. I just, I don't know, I didn't quite, I just didn't jive with most bands. I had respect for Black Flag, and, and some of it was all right, but I didn't. I just didn't go out of my way to, to kind of explore them a bit. And then when the Rollins band was out, I was like, who is this angry guy screaming, and he's a straight-edger, kind of, it seems like, and I just, I couldn't couldn't jive with that. But I'd never listened to what he had to say. You know, I never heard any of his spoken word or any of that kind of stuff. And, um, and when I did, I don't even know when I ran into him, but at least, I don't know, probably at least 10 years ago, I started listening to, you know, his, uh, I don't know if you call it spoken word, whatever, you know, his tours that he does, and uh, I was just really impressed, it's like, okay, here's a guy, I may not agree with him on everything, but I just, I really, I really loved what he had to say, and he just, man, the guy just goes on for two, two plus hours, just, and he keeps you, you know, riveted, he sit there and listen to stories, and, you know, his thoughts, and it's just uh, really, really impressive, I like his uh, views on things. And, um, yes, yeah, so I've been following him for a while, seeing him on tour when I get a chance. And this last time when he was up here in San Francisco, um, I think I, I don't remember, I think I had just written him and said, hey, how you doing? I see you're coming around here, and, and hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. And I, I run this gear company, and he mentioned something about, you know, using backpacks and whatnot. And I went, all right, I'll bring you one. And, um, yeah, I met up with him after the show, super nice guy. We sat there and uh, chatted for a while. And gave him a bag, and yeah, he really liked it. And I've sent him out another one since then, just a smaller size. And uh, it's been nothing but just a friendly, nice guy and, and, and a pleasure to, to deal with. He's a great dude all around. Yeah, I interviewed Henry uh, about three years ago uh, for Brooklyn Vegan, which is like a website out here that covers music. Don't let the name sort of turn you off to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I would never 
consciously uh, support something that's completely vegan myself. But uh, they they cover like all kinds of you know cultural stuff here in in the in the city. And uh, I got uh, assigned to interview with him, and that was like one of the greatest high points of the year for me because um, you know for most of my life I've looked up to that guy. You know, first with the music, and then. Um, just as him as a writer and, and speaker, you know, and just yeah. overall. So, so that was that was a pretty, uh, you know, I got like a, about forty minutes to talk to the guy, and one of the easiest interviews I ever did because basically all you have to do is open the door for him, and boom, he just goes. <laughs> yeah, he's just yeah, he's a really he's an amazing guy. He's just a great human. You know, he's just on my list of like excellent human beings. He's right up there, like up in the top. You know, it's. He's just a good example all around, and uh, yeah, really impressed with the guy. Did uh, you catch the fights this past weekend? I did. Yeah. So uh, you know, what do you think, man? What was your <laughs> what's your analysis of this thing here? Well, for the Jones Gustafsson, I mean, I in my mind on the cards, I couldn't see how they couldn't give it to Gustafsson. I'm just say Alex, uh, <laughs> make it easier, and uh, you know, I I just. To me, it looked like he got it, but I do understand, especially when you're dealing with the championship fight, you gotta you gotta really you know show that you can take it from him. It's it, it can't be you know you can't be getting super tired at the end and looking like you're gonna collapse, which is he did have a few moments there in that fifth round where he looked like you know Alex Oliveira was just gonna give up. And yeah. I don't know, that's not gonna play well. So, uh, but it was a great fight. I mean, I gotta be happy just to see such a good fight, and it was amazing just to see Jones just get shut down like that. I mean, it's the first fight I've seen him in where he just couldn't really do much of anything. Get a couple of those elbows, but I mean, usually he just walks all over people and kind of does what he feels like, and uh, that wasn't happening. So it was, a, it was a fun one. Yeah, the thing that got me was the, how he, how easily he stuffed his takedowns because that that's oh, yeah. like you know he's he's a the master takedown artist. You know what I mean? He's taking everybody down, and uh, you know the Mauler was able to like stuff pretty much all of his takedowns for that one at the end. And, yeah. Um, you know when and when Gustafsson took him down. Uh, it was effective. I mean, he actually landed inside control one of one of his takedowns instead of right in his guard, which most guys, you know, most guys go for a takedown in the UFC and they end up in the in the the person they taken they've taken downs full guard. But Gustafsson had him inside control at one point, and I was like, wow, that was that was pretty impressive. I thought, you know. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, it was, it was just amazing to see that. I mean, I just I couldn't believe it every time, and even when he was extremely tired, he was still stuffing it, and I'm going, wow, that's that's something I, I wouldn't bet on that. I, uh, I was just, yeah, I'm glad I wasn't a betting man because that looked like, uh, yeah. Well, I know he still didn't get the win, but damn near did. So uh, I'm looking forward yeah, for the, uh, definitely for the rematch, though. Yeah. The, the other thing, too, is uh, I kind of I was happy that at least now uh, John Jones might have a more realistic idea and some of the hubris that he's had about, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go up to heavyweight and, you know, try to get uh -huh. a belt up in heavyweight. Because, uh, you know, Gustafsson is, like, one of the only people he's fought that has the same or similar attributes physically that he has. Yeah. So if he were to go up to, say, heavyweight and he was going to face guys like Cain Velasquez or Junior Dos Santos or, you know, or a heavyweight who's, like, 245, you know, mm -hmm. six four or whatever with the, that reach, I think you'd have a similar result as as you had this past weekend. You know. Yeah, I think so. It's probably a good good humbling experience for him, um, and I couldn't help but root against him because he just won't shut up about God. So yeah, I know, dude. Totally. <laughs> I have a bit of a peeve against that. I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> I don't know. It just bugs me. That's one of the reasons why I can't fully fully back Vitor Belfort too, man, or like uh, you yeah. know, or Benson Henderson or any of those guys. They're just too god heavy for me too, you know. Yeah, it's 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 laid on a bit thick, and I I just can't. Yeah, it drives me crazy. I and I see too much of it in the sport. I'm like, okay, have your have your faith and whatever. That's fine, but I don't know. I don't need it stuffed in my face, and I just always feel like when they want to thank Jesus for everything then uh, I don't know they ought to blame him for the losses too at least <laughs> well it's been great talking to you Chris um, where can everyone find you online um, so well the main website is uh, just uh, www.dsgear.com so like dsgear um, and then if you, and even if you just look up hemp and MMA or you know any of that stuff it's, we're going to come up pretty high in the search terms um 
And then you can also on Twitter, just at DS Gear, Facebook. Uh, I think it's, you know, probably just slash dot Cesar on that one. Um, but you can look it up pretty easily. Uh, and then we've got a YouTube page, and then, of course, and stuff like that. But, um, yep, we're out there. Ton, ton of reviews floating around, too. I'm, I'm pretty active on a few different message boards and things because that's really, I, I don't spend any money on advertising. So I try to do my best to just kind of keep in touch with different communities and, uh, be available for people if they've got questions or just want to talk about stuff. One of the cooler things on your site is uh, the blog portion um, on the yeah, DS Gear you. site because uh, you know you have you had uh, Daniele Bolelli write um, you know there was like a piece that he provided about uh, you know with Bruce Lee and you know martial arts and all that sort of stuff. So you know if anyone wants to have a good read, um, you know and is unfamiliar with who Daniele Bolelli is, I highly recommend you check out his podcast. The Drunken Taoist podcast, which is like incredible, um, and he's also a great writer. He has a couple of books out, um, you know, and definitely look him up. Uh, so yeah, Chris. Also, what's on your YouTube uh, channel? I've only I don't think I'm that familiar. Oh, with it's that. mostly just product review. You know, it's mostly me giving tours of the different products that people want to go. Oh, okay, what does that thing really look like in person? How big is it compared to your average size guy like me or something? I I usually go through and go. All right, here's the Here's the gear bag pro and here's what you could probably pack in it and just kind of give people a general idea there's also a pretty funny animation of a uh we took a little piece of a podcast where daniele you know we sponsor the drunken dallas's podcast and he talked about us uh, in one of his i guess he called it an ad or whatever sponsorship section and we took that and had it animated and there's just a pretty funny animation on there with these like hemp warrior guys that uh that we did up while he's kind of uh, discussing Datsusara, you should you should check that out. That's actually, uh, that's pretty funny. It's yeah, cool. def- that sounds hilarious. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chris, so thanks a lot, man. And, um, you know, any final parting words you want to our, to my listeners here? Jeez, <laughs> uh, not necessarily, and I tend to, uh, forgive me, I tend to just sort of ramble on. I'm not always the best uh, inter- interviewee. But, uh, but if people want to, you know, check us out more, yeah, look on the website, check the blog, and, and, you know, when people try to email me or whatnot, I do my best to get back to them. Um, you know, even if you just have questions about starting a company or whatever, I, I just started a forum, too, for small business people to kind of talk and, and uh, you know, help each other out. So email me. I'll give you that as well. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for having me on. Uh, wish you and your listeners all the best. All right, man. Thanks.